companies um, don't love you. Full stop. Companies do not love you because they are not people. Companies are, in fact, entities. They are comprised of people who do specific things, which is an economic exchange. Now, in many respects, that exchange can be better or worse depending on what you value. So if it's compensation, if it's benefits, if it's free time, whatever that is, it is still an exchange. So to me, I think the conversation around like whether or not it's a good company is less important to me than who am I working for. Very true. Who would I be reporting to? And what kind of work am I doing in the context of my days? And is me using that time the best use of my finite amount of time that I have with this life that I was given? Hey, y'all. I'm Alexis, and welcome to First Year Project, a podcast sharing the stories behind the good, bad, and integral aspects of first year experiences. Earlier, that was a recording of Jonathan Jackson, head of corporate brand at Blavity a media company and platform for black millennials. Coming from an idea and term originated at a lunch table in college, Blavity has grown into a commonly referenced platform for news, culture, and commentary to a huge following of millennials of color. While being the youngest of Blavity's co-founders, Jonathan is in good company with other young millennials going into entrepreneurship earlier than ever before. In fact, according to a Fortune article, millennials at just 20 to 35 years old are starting more companies, managing bigger staffs, and targeting higher profits than their baby boomer predecessors. Listen to this episode as we talk about entrepreneurship, work, why people are really afraid of networking and making time for what you love. You can find First Year Project on Twitter and Instagram at firstyearprj. P is in Paul, R is in Ricky, J is in John. And on Facebook at First Year Project. For visuals and previous episodes, visit firstyearproject.com. If you like the show, please make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes as it helps First Year Project go up in the rankings and reach more people. If you're not familiar with how to do this, please visit firstyearproject.com slash review. A link will also be included in the show notes. I am so happy to have you here today, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? How are you? I'm good. Now, I meant to try to see what your shirt said, but I didn't when I when I got a hug. God is dope. So I'm actually uh, a lover and an embracer of the word dope. I, I, I think the word dope is dope. Yeah, too. I, I found this online. I was like, I need I need a couple of these. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you could just say uh, what you do and then, of course, why you do it. My name is Jonathan. I am the head of corporate brand at Blavity, and I look after our um, brand voice, what we sound like, who we're talking to, why, and then think about what places and people we could be partnering with. Um, I do what I do because I believe that everyone has a story, and giving them the ability to tell it is a quintessential right, and I believe more people should know how to do it. I love that. A quintessential right. Now, how did you get involved in Blavity? And if you could just kind of talk up a little bit about how Blavity came about. Yeah. I think the story is super cool in terms yeah, of how it yeah, came about. Of course. So um, our founder and CEO, Morgan, um, other co-founder, Jeff, who's our CTO, and Aaron, who is our COO, all went to school together at Washington University in St. Louis. 
we're all sequentially a year apart. So I'm the youngest, graduating in 2013. After graduation, everybody sort of went their own way, right? So Jeff has been in tech for a while. Uh, Morgan moved out to the Bay. Aaron was um, a financial consultant on Wall Street. And we've all had our own sort of networks and people we talk to. But at, at WashU, there's a really insular black community. There's only about 4 to 5% of the general population of the school. And so we had a couple of places where we would actually meet and like discuss, right? And one of those places was a table. It was a physical black table. In, in a cafeteria with yeah, the food, correct? The food, Always, correct. yes. Always with the food. So you go get your food and you would grab a chair because usually if you got there at like 11.45, 12, like everything was seated already. So there's like a solid 10, 15 people. So you had to like grab a chair or like you might mess around and share a chair if you had like a class during the lunch period. But the special part of the table was that you could discuss anything there. And mm. there was probably somebody there that could um, either push your thinking, disagree with you. But there was always dialogue and it was consistent. So it was everything from who's throwing the, the dopest party in the city that night to let's talk about black political theory to, um, you know, I'm going natural. What should I be doing? Like It, it spanned the gamut. So um, when uh, Morgan was out west i actually moved out too so i got a job at linkedin in late 2013 um, after graduation and then in early 2014 morgan um, shared this idea she had about creating a digital space for black millennials specifically and i didn't really know what that meant but i know morgan and i know the type of person she is and the drive she has and so i was kind of like yeah like i can do that and i was still working at the time so that's sort of how i got roped into um, what the world knows now is Blavity. What would you say, like, if you could describe Blavity in one word in terms of, like, the impact that it's had on the culture? I love the website. I love the content. I also think it's, like, really wild that um, a website like this for millennials hasn't really been done before, if that makes sense. But if you could describe <laughs> Blavity's impact on the culture in one word, what word would you, would you use? Man, this is tough. One word. Monumental. And I, I think I use monumental because I believe that it is important that people understand who they are outside the context of what they do. Mm. So a lot of us conflate success with significance and those things are not the same. And I think when it comes to Blavity, um, the team, the people we've been able to encounter, um, the, the marks we've made in a short period of time, I think it comes down to elevating how people see themselves. I mean, that's what monuments do. When you go see uh, the MLK monument, you're looking at a giant of history. Um, and you can do that all over the world too, when, when you go see something. And monuments usually stay with us. And I think that the more people realize who they are capable of being in the context of where they are, even if they're not there yet, um, that's really, really important. And I think that's, to me, what Blavity has done a really, really good job of. Now, how was your first year, like, building a company from the ground up? Yeah, my first year. So I was I was working, right? So I was I was doing... And you were young. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I, I was pretty young. So Still are. I see, yeah, I'm <laughs> like, it's weird. I, I get older and I'm still like, well, I'm not. You know, I'm not 30 yet, so I guess I'm still out here. Uh-huh. Um, I was I was working at LinkedIn at the time full time, right? So my role at Blavity was a lot more editorial focused, a lot of writing, a lot of interviewing, a lot of uh, hands on content stuff. And 
um, that was um, a lot of fun because I didn't really know anything I was doing. I didn't really understand um, outside of sort of what I was tasked with, like what in many respects was actually happening. So when you're when you're inside of something, it's hard to see the actual impact. Mm-hmm. And so you can sort of get um, you can get fatigued not seeing the kind of progress you know you're capable of. But um, I would say the first year was a lot of building and a lot of pivots um, and a lot of discovering things that worked, things our audience wanted, who our audience actually was versus who we thought they would be. What do you mean by that? So I think um, when I first thought of Gravity, I had a really um, specific vision of who I thought would engage, right? Like my friends, creatives, people um, that are sort of on black Twitter. But the reality is the Blabby audience spans that, right? So you obviously have the 18 to 34 segment. But we go above that as far as age is concerned. So we do have baby boomers. We have people's parents on our email list. And mm-hmm. we go below that, right? So you have kids that are sort of just getting into high school and somebody sent them the newsletter. And they've had an email They've had an email address since they could talk, right? So they're involved. And then there's lots and lots of white people. Um, really? Yeah, so white people really enjoy Blavity. Fun fact. They, I mean, they generally in, enjoy black culture. Right. So I guess that makes sense. Right. But I would say the, the bent that we've seen are the people that are gracious or that send thank you notes or say stuff like, you know, I um, adopted a black daughter and she turned 18. And recently it's been really hard to have conversations about race because I know myself and I know I don't know what her experience is, mm. but I can share a Blavity article with her written by someone that looks like her. And it allows us to have a dialogue that otherwise I would be um, not qualified to lead. That's so interesting, especially as a parent who, I mean, I don't know how, how young this, this child was, yeah. was, you know, adopted and then raised yeah. um, in this person's family. But yeah, I, I, I can't imagine not feeling like I, I can at least assist in terms of like facilitating a conversation. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's right. Like that's an identity conversation. Yeah. So it's like when you realize that people are using um, the platform you've tried to um, empower people to and are finding new ways that you didn't, you might not see in your daily life. I think that's cool too. Is that people are finding new ways to sort of take whatever they get and remix it for what they might need. For sure. Now, how how did you balance this all? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. That's I, fine. Uh, I think, honesty hour. Yeah, I mean, always, always honesty hour. I, um, I tried to make space for it, and it obviously creeps into, um, you know, everything you do daily, right? So there are times when I would just try to get as much work done as possible, mm-hmm. and so you obviously have the nine to five, but whatever your six to ten is, or your six to whenever. Mm. Um, and weekends and stuff were spent sort of in email, making sure you're responsive, figuring out what ideas you're seeing, and then actually taking the things you learn on your nine to five and then applying them directly into Blavity. So as it relates to LinkedIn, like LinkedIn is actually um, a content provider as well as a software as a service business. Yes. So um, for me, I got a lot of learnings. Um, my last role was working on the editorial team. So I got to take a lot of what I saw working with some really, really talented journalists and apply that, right? So how do they think about headlines? How do you find the right sources? How are they combining technology and media? Like, what does that mean Mm -hmm. um, on a day-to-day level? And just how do they think about what a good story is, what a lead is, all that stuff that I, that's not necessarily my background. I'm a writer, but I didn't, I didn't go to school for journalism. So there were hard, tangible things I didn't learn that I was just soaking up. 
um, and I didn't realize what they'd be used for um, until I realized that I had acquired some knowledge that could be useful. So I think that was, it was less about balance. It was more about figuring out what things I could learn in the time period I had and then try to apply them. That is so crucial, especially what you mentioned um, in regards to using what you do in your nine to five kind of as like a building block and as a resource for, you know, what you're doing in your six to whatever or what I think right now has become more so of a full time job for you. which is awesome. I, it actually reminds me of, I read one of your published pieces uh-huh. on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, the one that's called Simple Ways to Ensure I Never Work for You or Leave Quickly. Yeah. So first the title, I was like, oh my goodness, wait. <laughs> a lot of companies, like if we're keeping it all the way real, right. a lot of companies, even some companies who were like, oh, you know, we are more um, open and embrace the millennial a lot of companies have a certain idea of uh what their workers should be doing uh how their workers should appreciate that work and kind of flow through their entire career uh whereas millennials don't think that way and i don't think it's a bad thing yeah i mean i think there's a couple fundamental things that i realized that i was under the guise of coming out of college right the first is that companies um don't love you Full stop. Companies do not love you because they are not people. Mm. Companies are, in fact, entities. They are comprised of people who do specific things, which is an economic exchange. Now, in many respects, that exchange can be better or worse depending on what you value. So if it's compensation, if it's benefits, if it's free time, whatever that is, it is still an exchange. So to me, I think the conversation around like whether or not it's a good company is less important to me than who am I working for? Very true. Who would I be reporting to? And what kind of work am I doing in the context of my days? And is me using that time the best use of my finite amount of time that I have with this life that I was given? Um, that's a little bit more existential, but that is, I think, part of what I was trying to capture there was you can't really speak to me like I am just like every other um, worker you've ever had because I'm not. And the minute I start to feel like that is the minute I will look for the right opportunity for me to Mm -hmm. bring to bear the skills that I haven't before. One of my favorite lines from the piece is when you wrote, I like a lot of things and some things I'm not sure if I like. I really want to spend my time doing stuff that matters, period. Like it's not a super fancy line, um, but it just really resonates with me personally because I feel like I'm currently in my own transition, mm-hmm. number one. Right. Um, and then number two, I like to do a lot of different things and I love to learn a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So kind of how did you uh, find your balance between exploring the things that you like and then becoming an expert at what you do? So I, <laughs> that's funny. I don't, I don't think I'm an expert yet, right? So I think I, I would evaluate myself as having the ability to achieve that at some point in my life. I would call what I can bring to bear right now still at an average level. Mm-hmm. That is because of what I see my own gaps to be and the type of self-awareness I've had to cultivate. Um, 
I think you have to embrace who you are, right? So it took me a long time and even this year has been really challenging. I'm an autodidact, right? Like yourself. I like to learn things and then I like to apply them in ways that are, um, make me happy and ways that I think could be cool. Um, that isn't always appreciated mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. So Ooh, wait, can, can you say that again one more time? And then I want you to to talk more about that. So the fact that I like to learn things yes. and build stuff and just have it be out there and mm-hmm. create and make isn't always appreciated. That does not matter. <laughs> Whether the things and skills you have are appreciated doesn't mean they're not gifts. That just means the people you're around might not be ready for them Mm. and working to make sure that they're ready for your gifts is not a good use of your time Mm. because there are probably people who could appreciate them in a faster clip and you could start building the things you want. And so I think part of the misalignment a lot of us have is we're building around people that don't know who they are. Thusly, they don't recognize who we are. And then we spend time trying to make sure we smooth our own edges around when that's not the point. And for someone like me, I, I, I tend to do that more often than not. And I've realized that I can't be who I'm supposed to be and do that at the same time. Yeah. Do you ever find it challenging to love doing so many different things and love learning so many different things and then trying to like focus on, okay, like how do I get better at this one thing? Yeah, I think I think that's um, what I would call like alt time for myself. So I try to bucket that into my calendar, whether that's um, like times when I actually write um, and just I'm like, I'm writing right now. And that's time that's important to Jonathan versus what things do I need to do to actually accomplish the things that I should be doing today. Mm. Um, and I think that's just a level of intention in your day. So you actually schedule a time to be like, hey, this is going to be the time when I either write or when, when I do something just because I love doing it or I want to explore it more. Yeah. If it's not scheduled, it won't happen. It's not real. So I have a block on my calendar called professional time, because if I treat writing like it's a hobby, then I'll do it like one. But if I want to be great with my pen or my keyboard, I need to act like it. Like you act like a writer by writing. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have that block on my calendar weekly even if I miss it, it still means I miss something. And so if I've missed an appointment with myself, that means somewhere I wasn't valuing it. So what thing took the time that I should have been doing the thing that I told myself I love to do? And then if you don't actually love it, then it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So you should probably figure out if that's actually important to you or not. So that to me is the importance of a calendar. It's less like I color coded everything. It's more, if it's here, it's going to happen. And if it didn't happen, what was the impediment to that? For sure. For sure. I think that's such a great idea, especially in terms of also kind of recognizing, wow, like I end up watching Netflix for three hours at this time. Like yeah. I didn't even know I was doing that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just, just being really aware of like how you're using your time daily. And that's cool too, right? If you, if you need that time, I know people that schedule that. Yes. Time. Like, no, I'm seriously. Not, I'm not out here. This is like, treat yourself literally times. like, block time of me doing whatever I feel like. Mm-hmm. And I think you deserve that. And if that's something you need, then you should put that in your calendar. Now, what was a transitional moment in your life and how did you navigate through it? I feel like I'm I'm in one right now. So I we can we can refer to This is very true. Couple one. Um my transitional moments are usually around a specific event that if I reflect back on it 
six months to a year after, um, it's something that I wouldn't have seen before. So the, uh, I think a, a recent one um, was around th- yeah, Thanksgiving of, of last year, 2015. So mm-hmm. I, I got promoted. Um, this is at LinkedIn? This is at LinkedIn, yeah. Blavity was growing. Um, and there was a choice to be made, right? So it was, I'm doing really well in my career. Blavity's still growing, like what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and that choice, I think choices like that are really, really hard because they um, directly come into conflict with your identity. And by identity, I mean the person you think you are versus who you actually are versus who you want to be. And those moments um, are frightening, right? It's like when you need to break up with someone, yeah, but you love them a lot and you can't. Oh God, And then you so just bad. like call and they like, they're like, hey, how are you? And then you just crumble. Yeah. And you just tell, instead of telling them the truth, you tell them how much you love them, which is why it's much easier to accept the beautiful lie than the inconvenient truth. Do you think that was like the hardest part of you making that decision? Yeah, I mean, I thought, I think it came down to whether I thought I was a successful person. It came down to whether or not I thought I would be good enough. It came down to whether or not I thought I was worthy of making choices for myself. Mm. And that had nothing to do with Blavity Arlington, everything to do with who does Jonathan Jackson believe he is, right? The question I ask myself daily over the past seven, eight months has been if today was your most successful day. Nothing, and you literally did, did not achieve anything else past this day. Who are you? How do you describe yourself? Everything is taken away. Who are your actual friends? Who's there? Who can you call? Who says, hey, I don't actually care if you're this person or that person. Still come over. Let's go see a movie. Um, and what do you think about yourself? What story do you tell to yourself knowing today is the most successful day you'll ever have? And I, I ask that question not because I think it's true. I ask it because it actually grounds me in the things that matter mm. and allows me to brush aside the things that aren't important. So how did you actually make the decision? Um, I came down to just wanting to take a risk and deciding that like I'm young. Um, I believe I have some skills that make me employable. Um, I believe I built a network of people who know who I am and understand what I'm capable of doing. And I invest time in those relationships because I value those people, not because I care about their jobs. And so mm-hmm. knowing what that is, um, as someone who knit their own safety net, um, I had more of a support system than I originally assumed because I had been intentional about the people I had kept around me. Mm. And I think once you involve the right people in your story, they follow you regardless of if other people care about you or not. How do you go about making those types of connections. And, and I love that you added really reaching out and kind of connecting with people, not solely based on their jobs. Yeah. So it's like beyond the, I would say traditional networking, which always gives me like hives. Yeah. I think, I think networking is a placeholder for what people actually want. And we intrinsically care about, which is relationships. Mm. Like people thrive off relationships. So for me, I try to invert it and I'm in, I'm intensely curious. Like I'm very curious about who people actually are. So I call it the inversion strategy. So uh, if you see a LinkedIn profile, I read it from the top down. I don't, I don't read, I don't, I don't read in reverse. So I look at where a person started their career. Like I'm, I'm like, where did you go to high school? 
And then I'm like, okay, like what, what was your first job? Why did you spend three years as a marketing coordinator? Then you randomly got a master's in philosophy and then you became a consultant. Like what I want, I want to know the gaps Yeah. to the gaps are the stories Mm -hmm. that people want to tell because it's not people overlook that because it's very like how many times as a senior executive asked how it feels to be a senior executive thousands of times, how many times are they asked? So in early 2000, when you pivoted industries, what were you thinking? Right, like that shows one, you are interested in their career story because it took them a while to get where they are. Two, you've done enough work to think through the second layer of questioning, which is the how and not just the what. And then it also shows that you care about something they've done and people fundamentally enjoy talking about themselves. Yes. You probably know this from the podcast. <laughs> you know I mean? like people, care. people are like, yeah, of course. I'd love to tell my story. <laughs> Because you can shape your narrative however you want, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's truthful or not, is a different conversation. Yeah, but that's why that's why owning what you do is important. So before I get into asking you, like how is how has this impacted you thus far? Did anyone like call you crazy when you were making this decision, or was anyone like flabbergasted by you leaving LinkedIn to do this full time? No, and I think that actually shocked me more. Really? I think the narrative is like, here here we go again. Like, here's somebody that's just like jumping out the window. But I had made sure people knew about Blavity because that was my job. Mm-hmm. So nobody was surprised and they had seen sort of the growth. And so also it's important to recognize that Morgan had left her full time before a lot of us did. So her example was one in which she was going super hard full time and things were going to be moving whether or not. Um, my status had shifted. Things were growing. So I think people were becoming more familiar. There were more viral articles. There were hits. There were st- people were starting to, it was trying to get traction. People, oh, this Blavity thing is not just what I thought it was. It's much bigger. It can be more broader. Yeah, conferences now. Yeah, so I think, and even in the early days, like people could feel like there was a sense that there was something bigger here. It wasn't, it wasn't just a blog. It's not just a website, right? It's a, it's a noun and a verb. It's a feeling and it's a community. So, mm. um, you know, being able to capture that via written word or video or social, um, I think gave people something to grasp. And so when I said I'm exiting for this, people were like, oh, that's, wow, okay, yeah, right? You're young, right? I had, I had a, a, a really good uh, manager, I, I'd call him mentor as well, tell me that he, he grew up in the dot-com boom. So he was like every other day. People thought they were like the next Netscape, right? Yeah. Like, it's 99. He's like, but the reality is right now where I'm at, I have two kids. I have a mortgage. I have a home. I can't make bets like that. He's like, you have none of those things. So your risk tolerance is much higher. You just have to believe it's that high. Absolutely. It's 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 like investing in stocks at this age. It's like, well, you have time, which I think is the beautiful thing. Um, how do you think that this is this entire experience in your transition how would you say it's impacted your life and the work that you do oh man it, it's it's changed my life dramatically i am a much more, I've, I've always been a self-aware person i'm much more aware of who i am but conversely who i am actually want to be and executing on the things that would push me to do that. So I think a lot of us 
have the ideal state of who we are, right? It's like, it's like the better Jonathan. Um, but the task of building the capacity to be that Jonathan requires you to give up everything that currently makes you the Jonathan that sits in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have understood that if I wasn't in an environment where um, you get exposed for who you are, right? There's no real way to hide. And I think that's what this transition has showed me is, are you, are you being who you want to be or are you being the person that makes people the most comfortable? And are you cool with either or and your actions dictate that, right? So um, the intentions I have and the actions that I do, if they don't line up, then there's a conversation to be had with self. So I think this transition has forced me to have some conversations that I haven't wanted to have, but have been necessary for me to actually keep growing. Because the worst thing isn't failure, it's actually stagnation. Mm-hmm. That's like, to me, it's much worse. I totally agree. Knowing what you know now about literally starting a company, <laughs> um, if you could talk to your first year self, so this is Jonathan in, in, in the first year of working as well as working within Blavity. If you could talk to your first year self and give your first year self, your self advice, what would you say? Advocate for what you want when you want it and don't apologize for doing any of the things that you know you need to do. I think there is a lot of this comes from background, but I know for me, I have spent a lot of time trying to make people comfortable Mm. um, and that's a learned behavior. So I think culture, I learned that, right? Um, But that actually costs everyone in the long run because it means you're not being honest and it means people get used to an idea of you that's not even true. Yeah. And that is to me very, very concerning and it has deep ramifications that most of us can't see, Um, but they come to light again when your identity is on the line. And so um, I think that that's the first thing. Second thing is um, for decisions that, have ramifications ask yourself what's actually at stake so i think sometimes we assume the other side of the equation first but we don't ask the fundamental grounding question which is if i do this thing what will it affect and how will it affect the things around me that i care about and am i willing to weather that storm Mm mm-hmm because some of us, everything costs. You just decide what you're, in fact, willing to pay for. And every decision has something that um, will force you to encounter something you didn't know about. And you have to just engage with that. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, y'all. If you have thoughts you'd like to share about the episode or want to share your own moment of transition, make sure to drop me an email at firstyearprj at gmail.com. A link to subscribe to First Year Project's newsletter is included in today's show notes. The newsletter allows you to get first dibs to episodes and will also begin including more exclusive content. 
so make sure to subscribe with the link in the show notes. Today's background music is My Night by Chantel Acta. You can find her on SoundCloud.com. Editing, production, and hosting on today's episode were done by myself. Thanks for the love, y'all. Until next time, have a dope week.